Glory to God. Good to have you here today. Good to have you here. Before we get into the word here this morning, remember last, t- last week when we were talking, we talked about cracked eggs. He gave the example of going to the grocery store and open up a carton of eggs. Looking inside and feeling or seeing that one was cracked. And we dismiss all the other 11 because of the one that is cracked. I want you to keep that example in mind. We're going to show you a video clip from some of your favorite movies. Movie. I know a lot of people do, do like this one. So if we have that ready, go ahead and roll it. This will kind of bring in the, the spirit of, of all the things that were going on there. My name's Leanne Tui. My kids go to Wingate. You said you were going to the gym. School gym's closed. Why were you going to the gym? Big Mike, why were you going to the gym? Because it's warm. Do you have any place to stay tonight? Don't you dare lie to me. That look many times. She's about to get her way. Come on. Come on. SJ, make room. Get some. Come on. <laughs> Thank you for getting the lights on that. How many of you ever have not seen the movie The Blind Side? Anybody not seen that? Oh, a couple. Just, just, uh, just one. Oh, look at that. Wonderful movie. If uh, you have seen it, that, that scene, of course, will bring you back to much of what the movie was about. And Big Mike was basically somebody who had a couple of cracked eggs. Came from a bad family. He had no money. No house. Lived in a rough neighborhood. Had rough people around him. And somebody looked on him and didn't see all the cracked eggs. They saw something more. And if you haven't seen the rest of the movie, because people believed in him, he went on to become something of a big shot. Became an NFL st- uh, player. Was uh, taken in the first round. Because somebody believed in him. Because somebody could look on a carton with a couple of cracked eggs in it and say, I can see something more here. Let's pull that out. Every time that you're in the grocery store and you open up those eggs, I want you to be thinking about these principles we learned here last week and this week. We look at the movie like this and we all think, oh, that is such a great movie. How many of all the movies that you like, this is not your favorite, but one of your favorites, one of your favorite movies right here. All right, I know a couple people in the next door. It is their favorite movie. This is one of my favorite movies. If it's on the station, you're flipping around, this is one of those movies I stop on. I just sit there and watch it for a while or keep on watching it. It's just one of those feel-good movies. And we, we like these ones, but in real life, we don't always accept the big mics of the world. The people who don't come across having all the eggs that we want that they got a couple of cracked eggs 
that we're working with. And we reject it. And we certainly see that in the body of Christ. How many people in the body of Christ are there that you say, I don't like the way they, and we don't receive from them. And last week we were looking at Ephesians. And in Ephesians it said, we need what every joint supplies so that we can grow. There's a promise in the word of God that we will grow when we receive whatever joint supplies. And if we reject certain people in the body of Christ, we're not going to receive what they, what they have. It's fun to watch a movie and see somebody accept someone who didn't have all the eggs intact. But in the church, we don't always live that way. It seems like it is so easy for us to reject a carton of eggs as casually as we do in the grocery store when we open it up and we see there's a cracked one and we put it back and go find another. We can't dismiss the body of Christ quite so casually because part of the promise of of God for you to grow is what they supply. We want to take a look at another area of scripture here today. It's going to talk about how we grow and what we can do. You can turn in your Bibles to the book of Second Peter. Second Peter chapter 1. We're going to start right there at the beginning. Second Peter chapter 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of God and Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of of God and of Jesus, our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that though that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now, we like those exceedingly great And precious promises. God has given you promises. And as was being talked about already, God's a promise keeper. He's a promise keeper. It's a wonderful thing Brother Naz was leading us into there. That he's our sustainer. And he's going to keep his promises. But not only is he going to keep his promises, he gave us exceedingly great and precious promises. In fact, they are so great, we ought to be combing the word of God to find every promise we can. And pull it out. Because we told you before, the promise of God has everything that you need to get what you need. It tells you first off that God has it. That God is willing to give it. And what you have to do to receive it. It gives you those three things which are important. If you're going to ask anything of God, you've got to know that first off, God has it to give. Secondly, that God wants to give it. And third, what you have to do, if anything, to receive it. Not every promise do you have to do anything for, but some of them you do. And so we've got to know what that is. And if I know from God's mouth, this is what he says. This is what I have. This is what I will give you. And this is what you need to do to receive it. If I have those things from God, folks, we can do some things. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God, verse 2, and of, our, and of Jesus our Lord. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. 
His divine power. It comes from not your power, his power. His divine power has given to us. Has given. That's past tense, isn't it? His divine power has given to us. It has been given. It's been given by his power and it's given to you, a believer. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. All things that pertain to life and godliness. All things that pertain to life and godliness. My. That's some good stuff right there. The, the word here for life is not the word from bios, which means the necessities of life. A lot of times we're, we, we concentrate on the necessities of life. You know, water, food, place to stay, money, job, the necessities of life. But it comes from our favorite word, the word zoe, which means the life of one possessed of vitality and animation, the absolute fullness of life. Everything that you need for the absolute fullness of life has been given to you, is what he is saying here in this verse. Now this word here that says has given, we said already it's past tense, but it comes not from just the normal word to give. That's not just what it is. It's, it's actually from a word that means to grant or to bestow. It's a stronger, more expressive word. What this would basically be is this. If someone came up to you and handed you a $20 bill and gave it to you, you would then have a $20 bill and you could do what you could with $20. How many of you know that's a good thing? Somebody comes up, walks up to you, gives you a $20 bill. It's a good thing. But if somebody gave, came up to you and didn't give you a $20 bill, but granted you access to all of their accounts, no money was given to you right away, but access was given. It was granted to you. Now, of course, you want that person to be, be rich, but most people, if they have accounts, have more than $20 in them. Maybe not all, but most people do. And you have, have been granted access not just given, you have been granted access to something. Now, when you are granted access, if you're given $20, you can go out and you can do something with $20. But if you're granted access, you actually have to do something to access it. If you were granted access to a bank account, you have to go to the bank. You have to write a check. You have to do something to tap into what you've been granted access to do. So that's what he's talking about here. Has been given. He has given you all things. Past tense, but it's basically an access. It is, he has granted or bestowed upon you. Here it is. All things. Now, we started us all the way back here in the beginning talking about knowledge. Let's go back here and read that verse of Scripture. Grace, to you, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the knowledge of God, as His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him. There's that Knowledge again. Who called us by glory and virtue, by which we have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. The knowledge of Him. I put this in your outline for you. The grace and peace are in the sphere of this knowledge and are produced by it. They're in the sphere of that knowledge. In the knowledge of Him. In the knowledge of God. You've got to know God to know what you've been granted access to. Just because you've been granted access, if you don't know what you've been granted access to is not going to help you. If I went up to you and said, I grant you access all my bank accounts, but you don't know where I bank, what good is it going to do? 
if you don't know my account number? What good is it going to do? If I grant you access, you also have to have the knowledge of what that access is for. And so we study the word to find out what have, what has God given me access to? What has his divine promises promised me? And those things are there. See, a lot of times we're wandering around here. We're just barely getting along. And we don't understand that God has given us things, promises in his word, but we're not living up to them. We're not doing anything about it. We're asking, God, give me this. And God is saying, I have granted you access to this. Take it. Well, I don't want, I don't want to do anything. I want you just to give it to me. You know, I need 20 bucks. Give me 20 bucks right now. No, no, I've given you access. Go out there and get what you need. I've given you all things that pertain to life and godliness. All things that pertain to it. And we go up to God and say, give me 20 bucks. We've got to understand how this thing starts off. We're not, this is not even the meat of it. This is just the beginning. But this is, we need this to know what's coming here next. Of course, we all know what the word all means, right? All. Same thing in the Greek as it does in English. It means all. He has given you all things through the knowledge of him. And now when he goes here and he says, by which, that goes back to glory and virtue. When he's talking about glory and virtue, he's going right back to that. By which, by the glory and virtue. Let's read this all again. By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. Partakers of the divine nature. Now think about this, folks. What's going on in your life that is not like God? I don't just mean holy or God-like. I mean, what is going on in your life that is not like God? Is God afraid of the dark? He is not. Of course, he's not in darkness. He's in light. Wherever he goes, there's light. Is God poor? God is not poor. Is God depressed? God is not depressed. You can go through all these things, and this is not the nature of God. This is not who God is. But yet, how many times have we taken on some of these same things? We, we, I feel lonely. I feel depressed. I feel put out. I feel, I, I feel like nobody likes me. Nobody wants me. I feel like nobody receives from me. But that's not God. That's not the nature of God. By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. If you want the divine nature to be in your life, You've got to get hold of the promises of God and start activating them and getting them to go. There's all kinds of stuff that's out there that can help you out in your life. And we're living out there pedestrian-like because we haven't tapped into these things. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. We've escaped it. We're made to be partakers and we're escapees. We can escape the corruption that is in the, in the world through lust. Now, lust doesn't just mean, you know, uh, things we would call immoral. If I want something really bad, that's a lust. And that can get me to compromise the things of the divine nature. But don't do it. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. The world wants to get in and wants to corrupt you. Don't let it. God's not trying to keep you from the world to keep you from having fun. He's trying to keep you from the world so that you won't be corrupted. Because he knows it'll... It will corrupt you. Now look at this way. 
How many people, when we went through the couple of snowstorms we had, how many of you are glad that they put salt down on the road? How many of you are glad that you had salt to put down on your sidewalk? And yet, many people, after the salt all gets washed away, go out to the car wash to get rid of the salt off their car. Now, if salt is good, why are you trying to get rid of it? Because the salt on your car will corrupt it. It's not good. It's the wrong place for it. So you wash it off. See, the God knows that the, you can be in the world and you're going to be good for the world, but don't let the world get in you. It'll corrupt you. All right, that's the introduction of, of Peter. Now let's get into verse 5. Verse 5, but also for this very reason, given all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. What a fun list, right? But also for this very reason. For what reason? To escape, and I didn't give you this, but escape means to escape by flight. Run from that thing. <laughs> Get away from that corruption. Escape. And also becoming partakers of the divine nature. But also for this very reason, given all diligence, add to your faith virtue. That word virtue means this. It's a basic sense that means excellence of any kind. Means excellence of any kind. The term may also mean moral value. In its earliest appearance in Greek, this notion of excellence was ultimately bound up with the notion of the fulfillment of purpose or function. The act of lining up to one's full potential. Isn't that a fun word? Doesn't quite get translated completely by the word virtue, does it? But he says, for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith. Now you were, if you are born again, you have faith. You cannot be born again without faith. You may not have great faith, but you've got faith. He's saying, add to your faith, virtue. Add to your faith, excellence. Of any kind. Add to your faith the act of living up to one's full potential. Giving all diligence. Add to your faith virtue. To virtue, add knowledge. Didn't you just talk about the knowledge of God? This is gnosis. It means to uh, uh, knowledge by experience. You gain experience, experiential knowledge by walking in something for a while. Keep on walking with God. As you do, you gain experience of walking with God. You find out who God is. It's not oida, which is an absolute knowledge. You just know it. Somebody taught it to you. Somebody showed it to you. It's, it's something that you learn by experience. That's how you get to know somebody. That's how you get to know a friend. That's how you get to know a spouse. You, you, by experience, you get to know them. So add to virtue, add to it knowledge. Add to that self-control, holding the passions and the desires in hand. Self-control, holding those passions and desires in, in hand. It's any time that I just couldn't control myself. I just had to say this. I just had to do this. That's losing self-control. He says add to it self-control. And you can keep getting more self-control. How many of y'all know you have grown in self-control. But there's still more. <laughs> there's still more out there. We need to go out there and get the more. But walk in what you got. But keep on adding. So he goes from there. Adding self-control. Add to that perseverance. Perseverance. To remain under something. But to persevere. 
to keep on going. Sometimes people think that patience is just, well, I'm just going to stay in here. No, don't just stay in there. You stay in there, but you, you continue to hold on to the virtues. You continue to hold on to the, to the promises. You continue to hold on to faith. You continue to hold on to what God has taught you to do. You don't let those things go. Some people think, well, I'm in patience. I'm in perseverance. But they've let go of every godly characteristic, or a lot of them, while they're in that, in that situation. No, you hang on to them. That's how you learn perseverance. If you're going to learn endurance in the weight room and you're lifting those weights, how many have ever been in the weight room? All right, been in the weight room. You know, you lift those weights. After a while, the arms, the legs, they get tired. And what do you do when you get tired? Somebody said, stop. I know it. <laughs> no, you keep going. Because that's what you, you do the whole thing for that one little spot where you're tired. If you can do 10 reps of something and the first eight of them are easy, the last two are hard, you do all 10 of them for those last two. And then if you can, squeeze out another one. Because those are the ones that are, are causing the perseverance. There is something that's coming against you, but you continue to do what you're doing. That develops perseverance. You've got to continue to do what God has taught you to do, even under Whatever kind of attack might come, whatever kind of things are trying to pull you out from self-control, to pull you out of faith, to pull you out of, of these things that you've walked in. Don't do it. You stay in there. Perseverance. Add to that godliness. Becoming like God. How would God be in this situation? What would God do in this situation? It's not hard for us to say that person is not acting very godly. That's not hard, is it? Because we know a little bit about God. And I know God doesn't do that. God doesn't talk like that. God doesn't act like that. Add to it godliness. Here's the next one. Add to that brotherly kindness. That's the word Philadelphia. We all be familiar with that one. Not just, uh, not just saying love. But this is just being nice to people. Being nice. How did Philadelphia get that name? Huh? <laughs> being nice to people. Being kindly. Add to that brotherly kindness. As um, Miss Ethel was talking about here this morning. Some people are just mean. That's just a shame. But some people are. They're just mean. But you don't have to be that way. Be in a place of, of kindness. And here's the last one. Agape. Love. That's the ultimate kind of love. That's a love that is based on the nature of the one giving the love, not the one receiving the love. So this is the list he gives us. Let's read over it again. But also for this very reason, given all diligence, add to your faith virtue. To virtue, knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If these things are yours... If they have come to a place where they are something that you practice habitually, you do this on a regular basis. If these things be yours, it is a stronger word there for be having the meaning of belonging to. If these things belong to you, this is, this is part of, of you. This is, you know, it's, if, if you were walking around outside and you found a pair of shoes, you found a pair of shoes. How many of you would pick them up differently 
than if they were yours. Come on. <laughs> you would pick it up differently. I pick up trash sometimes out here. Some other folks in the church, we pick up trash out there. If I pick up a Dairy Queen cup, which I did this morning, there was a Dairy Queen cup in, in, the, uh, in the front there, there. And so I picked it up. I picked that cup up differently than if it was mine. Now, I like dirt. I mean, dirt doesn't bother me. I get involved in all kinds of dirt. But I do not like unknown people dirt. There's just something that bothers me about unknown people dirt. I don't know who these people were. I don't know what kind of dirt they left behind. I don't know what they did to that cup. And so I need to get that cup out from where it is. So if, if I have something else in my hand, I'll pick it up with that. Or I'll pick it up with just as little contact with the cup as I possibly can. I carry it over to the receptacle that is outside the church on the other side. And I drop it in that receptacle. And then I generally proceed over to the washroom and wash my hands. Get all whatever unknown dirt was on there. I wanted I want it off. But if that cup was mine, I had been the one using it. Or if my wife had been the one using it. Or if one of you had been the one using it. And I know you and I know your dirt. <laughs> I'd pick it up a whole lot differently. I'd fully grasp that cup and I'd either hand it to you or if you were done with it, I'd throw it away. I'd do something else with it. I'm not going to reuse it if it's not mine. I'm not that friendly with you. But isn't there a different way that we we do that? If it's mine, I pick it up a certain way. If it's somebody else's and I don't know whose it is, I pick it up differently. And that's what he's talking about here. For these things are yours. They belong to you. You're not holding it out here like, all right, I got to move this. I got to transport this. I got to do something with this. But I don't want to. You're holding it out over here. No, you've, you've embraced it. You grabbed it. This thing is mine. If these things are yours and abound, they abound. They become fruitful. They are not just a little bit. They, they're all over the place. They are abounding. Any, anybody here, original Star Trek fan? Original. Had to be original series for this one. Boy, they have an episode on, on that one. It was called The Trouble with, the Trouble with Tribbles. I may remember that one. They had these little cute little furry things. And they picked up at a planet. And they thought they were cute. And a couple people brought them on as pets. And before long, they were multiplying it and they were all over, the, all over the ship. They were getting into the integral parts of the ship and the ship couldn't go into warp and it couldn't do certain things and, and they were just having all sorts of trouble. I think they actually had a battle and they, they couldn't fire anything because these things were, were in there and they had to go through and eradicate them and, and get rid of all those things. They looked cute, they looked nice, but they abounded. They were all over. They were far more of them than, than we wanted. It's kind of like dandelions. How many of you have more dandelions on your lawn than you want? And they just seem to have a way of abounding. The grass doesn't abound. But the dandelions do. They just seem to, to multiply so easily. If these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. Now, we put this up on Facebook if you were up there before. How many of you have knowledge of certain things about God? 
You have knowledge about the healing power of God. You have knowledge about the provision that God provides. You have knowledge of the blessings that God puts on your life. You have knowledge of a lot of things about God, but that knowledge has not translated into something actually working. So let me put it to you this way. How many of you know that God can do something, will do something, but it hasn't happened for you just yet? All right. Would you not call that knowledge that you have barren or unfruitful? Wouldn't it be? Because I have the knowledge that God will do this, but in my life, it is barren or unfruitful. God says He will be the joy of my life. And I'm feeling like, I'm not feeling that joy. That knowledge that I have of God is barren or unfruitful in my life. That's not, that's not the way it's supposed to be. But he says, if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That knowledge that you have of God will not keep not producing fruit. It will not be barren. So when we have those areas, and we all know we got some. I, God, I know that you can do this. I know that you will do this. But just because I know that, it hasn't quite come to fruition in my life. I haven't quite seen this just yet. I'm still having a hard time forgiving some people, even though I know that you are the forgiver. I'm having a hard time believing that you've forgiven me, even though your word says it. I'm having a hard time believing this, even though I see this in your word. We're having a a tough time with it. That knowledge that we have of God in our life has become unfruitful or barren. Or not become. It basically never was fruitful. It was always barren. It didn't produce results. Now what happens if you have something in your life that is unfruitful and barren? Well, you, um, you try and tend to it for a little bit, get it going. And after a while, how many of you just give it up? If you've got a car and it's not working and you have it towed and they, they fix it and they bring it on back and you go to start it up and it doesn't start up. Well, maybe we take it back to the car place another time. And if they still can't get it going, after a while that car sits there. We're not working on it. Have you ever done this, walked, driven on through a neighborhood you haven't been in before and seen the cars up on the blocks or up in just in such a manner that you know no one is driving that car? No one is driving that. It didn't happen this year, but I think it was last year or the year before. One of the times we had a big snowstorm. It was the oddest thing. It was on our street. It was not on another street. It was on our street. On our street was a very new, I don't know brand new, but it was very new. I would say it was less than a year old. And they parked this car on the street before the snow. I don't know who did it. It was a pretty new car. Now, if you have a new car, how many of you are not parking on the street when snow is coming? Because what happens when snow comes? Plows come. And the plows either go around you and plow you in or, you know, they could hurt you. So if you have a car that's fairly new, it either gets priority in the driveway or you just start stacking them up. I mean, don't you do that in the driveway if you have, uh, you just start stacking up cars. We want all the cars in the driveway so they're not out on the street. 
this person, brand new car, probably less than a year old, out on the street, snow plows came, it was one of those deep snows, plowed all around it, there's no way that this car is getting out. You got you to go out there and you got to work, you got to dig it out. No one came out to dig the car out. That car sat there for at least a week. Snow all around it, snow on top of it. No one came out to move it. How do you have a brand new car, park it out on the street and not need it? Just let it, well, just let that one, I got extras. Who has extra cars? I don't understand that. I just sat out there. But most people, most of us don't have that. We don't have extra cars. So the car we have, we have to get it working. But if it doesn't work, if we can't get it work, we eventually put it on the shelf and we go find one that, that does. It's, it's just not, it's not doing what it's supposed to do. Go to a smaller scale. How many of you bought one of those kitchen gadgets that said it would do thus? And you saw it on the infomercial on TV and you brought it in and it didn't quite work the way you wanted it to work. It didn't quite work as easily as they said it was going to work. And it was not as fruitful as you expected it to be. In fact, sometimes it was just downright unfruitful or maybe even completely barren. Eventually, you stop trying, don't you? But you keep looking at it. It's still sitting there. It's there. How many have, you know, it's in the drawer for a week or two, a month. I'm not using it anymore. It doesn't work. It takes you a while before you finally get to this place where you say, it doesn't work. I'm getting rid of it. It's not taking up space in my drawer anymore. I need that space in the drawer. This thing doesn't work. And then you put it someplace else where it's not in your way and eventually you come and find it again. Why do I still have this? It doesn't work. And you throw it out. But it was, became barren and unfruitful. The knowledge of God that we have, folks, has become barren and unfruitful for us in some areas and so we have put it on the shelf. When somebody comes along and begins to teach us about that, we immediately say, that's unfruitful, that's barren. And we got little walls to come up. I'm not receiving anything more on that. Because that knowledge I have of God has become, not become, was unfruitful in my life. It was barren. And we blame it on the knowledge we have of God or we blame it on that aspect of God or we just blame it and say, that's not what God does. Or at least God's not willing to do it for me. But according to this, folks, the concentration was in the wrong spot. Pull that verse back up again. He said this, for these things are yours and abound. And those are the things we just went over. We've got to take all those things that he went over and get them in our life and get them to the place where they abound. If they do, the knowledge we have of God will work. Isn't that amazing that this kind of stuff has an impact on us? For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of God. So here's the deception we have fallen into. We have allowed the, the, the devil to tell us it's self-control. It's not a big deal. That's just who you are. You're just short-tempered. You just don't have any patience. And he keeps telling us that, and so we keep accepting the lack of self-control in our life, not realizing that the knowledge we have of God and the things he will do is hindered because of our lack of self-control. But the devil knows it because he knows the words probably better than we do. And so he knows if I can keep stirring up self-control issues, we're going we're gonna to hinder this. Because here's the promise of God. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a promise, isn't it? It's a conditional promise. It's a promise that tells you what God will do and what you have to do to receive it. 
So if you do these things, if these things are in your life, they're yours. Not just things we hold out here, but they are ours. I've embraced them and they are abounding. If I have perseverance, I can remain under for a long time. I don't go around saying, oh, the devil's picking on me. I'm just so down. He just keep piling more and more. Oh, I don't know how much more I can take. It's just so hard. I just know where is God and all this. That's not going to help you. What you need to do is persevere. Devil, I'm not letting go what I know to do. The Word of God has told me to do this. The Word of God has told me to believe the best in people. The Word of God has told me to forgive. The Word of God, and we look over the list. I'm not letting that go no matter what it is that you do to me. I'm persevering. Go ahead, bring on your best. Come on. I'm sure you can do better than this. Let's go. We can, we can do some more. I don't want to egg him on and make him do anything worse. Why? He's going to anyway, right? I had this chiropractor that I, I go to and, well, snow messed up the schedule. So I had to call in and reschedule and get the, the other chiropractor who works there because the one I usually see isn't there. And so I got, uh, my family goes, they see him a lot, Dr. Z. We say that because apparently his, his name is unpronounceable. I don't know what his name is. I just know him as Dr. Z. So I get into Dr. Z's office and he's, he's working on me and he, uh, he found a sore spot. I said, I didn't even know that spot was sore. Holy cow. It was sore. And so he's, he's asking me this. He says, you want me to, you want me to lighten it up a little bit? I says, no. I said, keep on going. I'll take all you got. He says, I just say that as a courtesy. I don't mean it. <laughs> I said, I did not know that about you. <laughs> I just, that's just a courtesy. I don't mean it. The devil's not going to lighten up on you. He's going to keep pushing. He doesn't care. He's going to throw everything at you that he's got. He wants you crushed. That's what he wants. He desires that you be crushed. Don't be dancing around trying to make him not notice you. For if these things are yours and abound, you'll be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of of our Lord Jesus Christ. Perseverance, let it abound. Devil, you're not even anywhere near my limit. Not even anywhere near it. I'm going to keep doing what God told me to do, no matter what it is you throw by on me. Kind, a godliness, brotherly kindness, love. These things need to be in you and abound, is what he is saying. And you will not be unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For if these things are yours. Now, this is in the King James and some other translations. I'm not sure why the New King missed it, but it's, it's missing there. They make... Or they cause you to be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. These things, not just having them in your life, does it? But those things actually cause the knowledge that you have of God to abound. Now, a lot of things that we know about God, we can't see the relationship to it. But the word of God is telling us these things will cause it to increase. They will cause it to increase. So think of it this way. Uh, Maybe some of you watched some of those uh, shows and they had somebody who mixed chemicals together who weren't supposed to. And we were in a restaurant one time and somebody was cleaning and he's a college student. He's a grown up. He's almost, I think he was either a junior or a senior in college. You should know better. He comes on back and he says to me, I was the assistant manager at the time of the store. He says to me, he says, Steve, 
What two things aren't you supposed to mix together? Now, how many know the answer to that question? Ammonia and Clorox. So I said, well, generally, I said, I'm not sure what two things you're talking about, but generally people tell you don't mix Clorox with ammonia because it'll, it'll, it has a reaction. He said, I didn't use ammonia. What'd you mix together? I mixed Clorox and lime away. So we evacuated the store. Everybody's got to get out. I don't know what that makes. He said, he said a green mist came up. Don't mix lime away and Clorox. Pretty much don't mix Clorox with anything because Clorox just loves, chlorine just loves stuff. It just bonds and they just become things that they're not supposed to be. Keep Clorox out of, uh, of other stuff. Just use it by itself. So he mixed lime away and Clorox. Green smoke came out. We evacuated the restaurant, got everybody out, aired the place out, and uh, that, was not a good, that was not a good thing. We don't want to have that happen. But you can see that when you mix two things together, that a, a reaction can occur. What he's telling you here is this. If you take those traits and mix them together with the knowledge of God, a reaction will occur. And the knowledge that you have of God will become fruitful and productive. It will become fruitful and productive. It will do what you know the Word of God said it would do. How many of you would like to take the knowledge you have of God and make it productive? He's giving you the formula right here. If you will take these traits and put them in your life and have them abound, this is what it will do. It will have a, it will have a good effect. You want it to abound. In other words, take that Clorox, pour it all in there. Just mix, dump it up, took the whole thing in there, put it, put it in. That's what, you, that's what you want. You want the right things to go in there. How many know Clorox is a great cleaner? It's a great, it won't clean everything. But it's a great cleaner. That's why they came up with Lime Away. Because Lime Away will clean some stuff that your Clorox won't clean. That's just one of those things that, will, that it will do. When, um, you know, in the reef hobby I'm in, we have these little motors that move water and they sit in the water. And you don't have this if you have a freshwater tank. You do not have this problem. But in a saltwater tank, there's a particular thing that, that grows. It's called coralline algae. Anybody ever heard of coralline algae? Coralline algae is beautiful. It's nice and pink. If you look at the coral reefs, if you see that nice pink, purplish stuff that's on the, on the rocks, that's coralline algae. The reason they call it that is because it's hard. It's not an algae that you think of that's soft. It's actually hard. It's crusty. It's very, very hard. And it continues to grow. It pulls the calcium and the alkalinity out of the water and it begins to, to grow in the rocks. And it makes it a nice rock. Makes it look real, real good. It belongs in the rocks. But unfortunately, it will grow in places you don't want it. Like in the motors of the things that are supposed to move water. And so this stuff keeps on building up. After it builds up a while, it will stop the motor from moving. And so you have to get in there and, and scrub it out. Now you can't use lime away in a, in a reef tank. That's, that's a bad thing. So what you do is that you go to the store, and I have two containers in my house. This is for the reef tank. I have Clorox because you can use Clorox on stuff because you can get rid of it. That's the only reason you can use Clorox. And you can't put the Clorox in the reef tank, but you can use it on stuff, and you go through a certain procedure, and you can get the chlorine off more so than you can other stuff. But the other thing that you have is vinegar. And so when I have, a, have one of those motors and it needs to get cleaned off, now, I just did this recently because I had a temperature probe that tells the heater when to go on and when to go off. 
and it's caked on with this stuff. I said, oh, pretty soon it's not going to be able to tell what the temperature is, and it's going to cook the fish thinking it's too cold. So I took the, the little, little thing there. You can't scrub it because you hurt the probe. And you just take it and you just soak it in the vinegar. And you know what happens? It all dissolves off. And it just falls off the thing. don't have to do nothing to it. You see, you get the right chemical. You get the right reaction. What God is telling you is, don't go out there and get the traits that you like. Well, God, I can do this trait, I can do this trait, and I can do this trait, and I can do this trait. I like these traits better. I'll do these traits to make these things work. God says, no. What are the traits that I gave you? I don't like all those traits. I mean, that's self-control stuff. Not real fond of that. Virtue, knowledge, all right, we can go with that. Self-control, though, perseverance, I'm not a real big fan. Not, not a fan of those ones. Uh, godliness, brotherly kindness, and I don't always want to be brotherly kind. There are some times I'd rather not. How many of you met some people this week you would rather not be brotherly kind to? Hopefully you were. For if these things, not other things, not things that you pick, if these things are yours and abound, you will neither you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, actually, it's going to tell you this. They will make or they will cause you to not be barren. Verse 9. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. That does not sound like a very good state, does it? It doesn't sound like a state you can prosper in. Short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Now, now verse 8, we just spent time on. That conveys the idea of possession. Nine merely indicates the presence with you. So if these things are just around you, it's not going to have the same effect as, this, as if you possess them. They are in you. They abound. There's a difference. You have to get these traits of God to not just be around you, something that you know about, something that you endeavor into every now and then, but something that you, they, you, you possess them. You own them. Verse 10, therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will, what? Read that. Never stumble. How many of you like to go through life never stumbling? We don't like to stumble physically, do we? A a physical stumble, that causes us troubles. But he's saying you will never, he's talking spiritually here. You'll never stumble. You'll never make a mistake in the things of God. Never. That's what he's saying. How many of y'all know that's, that's a pretty good promise? That's pretty good stuff. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You're not just going to get in. You're going to get in abundantly. For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right as long as I am in this tent to stir you up by reminding you knowing that shortly I must put off this, put off my tent just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. In other words, after I go, I'm going to make sure that someone or something is still around to remind you. I'm going to keep on reminding you of these things. I'm going to make sure that when I go, you're still reminded of them. Because he saw this is that important. Do we understand that the things that are in Second Peter here, are that this important? This important? He's about ready to go on. 
He says, I'm going to make sure that you get, get this. I'm going to put things, I'm going to have stuff sent to you. That you, that you see this. That you, that you receive this. That you, that you get this. How many of you saw that Hallmark Christmas show? The, uh, the, the lady who was receiving all these unknown gifts for the 12 days of Christmas. And the, I don't even know what they all are. Um, the dancing things, the swans swaying and the partridge and all that different stuff. They all came on the different days. She didn't know who was sending them. Until the end, she found out that it was her mother who had passed away, had set all these things up so that they would be coming to her. She thought it was somebody still around. But the mom had set up something that if she was, when she was gone, because I figured she was dying of something, when she was gone, she would still have her, her remembered. That's what Paul's talking about. That when he, I'm, I'm going to be gone, but I'm still going to have a way to get a remembrance in here because this is so important. This is so important that even after I die, I want you to be reminded. Every time that you see me, I remind you about these things. Every time I write to you, I remind you of these things. Think about this. How many of you had a relative? Somebody, every time you saw them, they always said the same thing. Are you doing? Or they ask you, every time you saw them, I, they're going to ask me if I'm doing this. They're going to ask me if I have this. You, you know it. They always do it. Why? Because they know it's important. And they're trying to convey to you the importance of that thing. Peter is saying, guys, this is so important. This is so, you've got to get this down. If you can take these traits and you can make them part of your life, then the knowledge you have of God will always be fruitful. It will always accomplish the thing that it needs to do. That state of being in a place where you know this about God, but it doesn't happen, that won't be a state anymore. I know that God has a calling on my life, but I don't know what it is. That state won't happen anymore. I know that God has given gifts to people in the church and that God has given, he said, gave gifts to everyone. But I don't know what my gift is. That will not happen if you can take all those things and put them to work in your life. You will know what the gifts, what the calling, what the direction of God is all your days. If you have the knowledge of God about anything and it has not been, been fruitful in your life just yet, this is the list you've got to come back to. This is the one right here in Second Peter. You need to go back and say, what in this list is not in me and not abounding? Because it's holding me back. It's keeping some things I have the knowledge of, just that knowledge. It's unproductive. It's unfruitful in my, in my life. In fact, I don't even pursue it anymore. I don't even think that can happen. I don't think that God gives gifts to everyone because I never, I don't have one. I don't think God has a purpose for everyone because I don't see that God has a purpose for me. I don't see that God gives joy to everyone because I don't have joy. We can go on the list of all these things that God has said he would do, that God has said could be ours, and they aren't yet. Because I need to work on that list. Would you all stand up with me? What are you doing to be reminded? 
What are you doing to remind yourself about these principles every single day? Because these are the things we need to be be walking in. I'll put this in your outline for you. Are we bothered at how others reject us for our broken parts? Does that ever bother you? That someone rejected you because of your broken parts? Are we rejecting other people because of their broken parts? Are we rejecting what they have? There's a, there's a minister I list, listen to. main reason I listen to him is he has some, some good content. It's not all through it, but somewhere in there, he's going to have some kind of, a, a, some kind of good qu- content. He's going to challenge you in something. And I listen to him, and sometimes he's very difficult for me to listen to. Because as far as public speaking goes, he breaks a lot of the rules. He has a lot of words that he mispronounces. I mean, doesn't just get it slightly wrong. I mean, butchers the thing. And the unfortunate part about it is when he butchers these words that he butchers the pronunciation on. I can't even tell you how to pronounce it, nor can I tell you how to spell it. Uh, One of them is, is thanks. He cannot pronounce that word. I cannot even spell it the way he pronounces it. Another one is things. He can't pronounce either one of those words. It comes out so poorly. But he, the, the pro- tough part is he uses those words over and over and over. I've almost wanted to get to the point. I wanted to write him and say, you know, there's other things you can write beside things. <laughs> and, and you can use these other words in there. But he doesn't use those other words. In fact, it seems that he intentionally doesn't use the other words just to use the word things. One time he used the word things seven times in one sentence. very difficult for me to sit there and listen to him. He's a, he's a man with a very high voice. Very high voice. Mispronounces the words. Overuses words. But I listen to it. You see, that's a lot of cracked eggs. For me, that's a, that's a lot of cracked eggs. But I keep on listening because if I don't, there's some teaching, there's some principles there I may not get a hold of. I may not hear. I got this challenge for you. What is your threshold? What is your limit to how many cracked eggs you can endure? If you were to open up a carton of a dozen eggs, what is your limit? Is your limit zero? I will not bring home an egg carton if it has any cracked eggs in it at all. Is that same limit with people? What if the person that comes to you has a cracked egg, will you reject them? What if they have two? What if they have three? What if they have four? What if they are a person who comes from no home, has no money, has no stuff, has no ability to provide for himself, is larger than all the other kids, is awkward, How many cracked eggs would you take there? God is not looking for people who will find other people with cracked eggs and reject them. He's looking for people who will find 
other folks. And when they open the carton and they look inside and they see a bunch of cracked eggs, they don't focus on the cracked eggs. They focus on the whole ones. And they see potential. They see something out of what they have. If you want people to look at you, not for the cracked eggs that are in there, but for the ones that are intact. And to not reject you and put you back on the shelf because of the cracked eggs, but you will take you home and put you to use. Can you imagine? I want you to think about the egg cartons the next time you go in the grocery store. And when you find that egg carton that has the one cracked egg, just think about this. You are missing out on all the nutrition, on all the things that the other 11 have because of the one cracked You're missing out on everything. And how much is that cracked egg actually costing you? What's a dozen eggs go for? Depending upon where you go. I know Audi's is selling for like a buck and a half, right? You go to other places, there might be more. Look at a buck and a half. You're looking at a little bit more than 10 cents. 10 cents. You are letting 10... Folks, you drop more than that. But you are looking at 10 cents. Because of one slim dime... You are rejecting an entire carton. What have you rejected? Something far more valuable. What have you rejected people in the body of Christ because of? God is looking for people who will take those traits, perseverance, to name one, who will persevere with you, who will stay in there and and stick with you, who will have brotherly kindness that will love you with an agape love and all the other traits that are there. They will take those that are in them and pour them out on the four or five eggs that you still have intact and grow you into somebody complete, somebody whole, because they saw the beauty in you. They didn't see the cracked eggs. So who is in your life? We're talking believers here. Who is in your life that you know has some cracked eggs going on that you would like to reject them? But you can take those traits and put them to work and bring the good out of that person. Who is in your life that you can do that for? You see, if you'll do that, the promise is that the knowledge you have of God will never be unbearing, will never be unfruitful. It will always bring about what God said it would. Father, we thank you for the grace that you have poured out on us. We thank you for that wonderful grace. We didn't deserve it. We sure didn't earn it. But you poured it out on us. And in the same way, we're going to pour this out on others. There's people in the body of Christ that are in our sphere. In our realm. And we need to love on them. We need to look past the cracked eggs that are in the carton. And go after those whole ones. See them for what they have, not for what they don't. 
see them for the grace that was given to them, not for the ugliness that has come into their life. And Father, as we find these diamonds in the rough, so to speak, these people out there that have something great to give, but has been buried under so much rejection, so much hurt that others have poured on. Father, we can step in. And we can let all those traits that Peter talks about work in us toward them. I thank you for it. Not only will it bring about a change in their life, but it will bring about a change in ours. We give you the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Before we go, we have a couple of prayer requests, praise reports. If you have yours, didn't turn that in yet, bring that over to one of our ushers. They'll bring it up here to me while I'm reading these. Susan said, I'm grateful for good neighbors that helped me during the last two snowstorms. Hey, man, I saw some of that up on Facebook. That was, uh, that was good. Candy, agree with her that the headache will go. I guess she's having a, a headache today, so we can do that. Susan, friend's daughter facing surgery for a growth on her head. On the outside, I imagine. Uh, they are believers, but don't have the knowledge about healing. Girl is 14. Her name is Stephanie. I'm reading it. So, Stephanie. All right. Well, what was that? Oh, I thought you added something more to it. Okay. Let's all stand up. We can pray together. Anything more that was? Okay. Glory to God. Father, we just thank you for your word, that there are things that are in our life that maybe we haven't seen become fruitful yet. But we're going to see a change in that because we're going to put the necessary ingredients to work. We're going to put these to work in the people that are in our lives. And Father, we pray right now for Stephanie that people in her life will tell her about the knowledge of God for healing. They can go in there and speak to her. Father, there are people that she knows that know about Jesus the healer. I pray that you raise them up to go over her and speak to her about this. And when she hears about that knowledge, when she hears about what God can do, that it will become fruitful in her life. We thank you for it. Thank you, Father, for principles of healing. Candy puts her to work. In the name of Jesus, we agree with her that headaches have to leave her body. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, before we go, I put in your... Um, I did text out to just about everybody, I think, the uh, funeral arrangements for Sarah, and that will be...